we are in a series called Seven Keys to Making Godly Choices. It's from my book called Flying Higher. If you'd like to get it, it's in the bookstore. It's helpful in the Connect groups. We're going through all seven of them, one per week. Last week, we looked at the uh, conviction of the Holy Spirit, inner conviction. It's when you get that little impulse, that I don't know, I just felt to call you today. And you find out somebody had a real need, and you just felt that internal prompting or a little warning about something. That's how God kind of helped some of us hard-headed people who aren't reading, and as a result, He just speaks to us inside. And then we talked uh, about preparing for today, and this one's going to be about scriptural confirmation. I don't know about you, but I want a good life. I don't want to fall in the ditch, and I don't want to crash and burn like a 737 MAX 8 jet. As a former pilot, if you find you're on the wrong road, turn around. It isn't going to kill you. It will save you. It's never too late to turn around. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how deep in the ditch you are, no matter how bad life is at the moment, you can turn around. God, God doesn't hold any grudges. He can That which He has started, He will finish in you. Philippians says. So don't let somebody tell you, well, I've gone too far, wasted too much life. And Joel, he says, I'll restore the years the enemy has stolen from you. I'll restore them. I'll give you such a quality, you won't even miss them. So it's always good news. We are not travel agents for bad news. We don't book guilt trips. We, okay, come on, hang with me. We're travel agents of good news. So if you don't have that book, it'll be very helpful because I get 35 minutes and I can only kind of skim it. Now, let's do a little quick review. Remember in our principles, there was inner conviction, scriptural confirmation, prophetic confirmation, godly counsel, smart advice, circumstances, the peace of God, and provision. And then we said, out of those seven ways God guides us through life, here's an important key. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1 says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So God doesn't guide you by just one of those seven principles. He guides you by two or three that line up together. Again, it's to protect you and guard you. So let's take a look at scriptural confirmation, which is learning to be led by God's Word. Proverbs 6, verse 20 through 23, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. My son, obey your father's godly instruction and follow your mother's life-giving teaching. Fill your heart with their advice and let your life be shaped by what they've taught you. Their wisdom will guide you wherever you go and keep you from bringing harm to yourself. Their instruction will whisper to you at every sunrise and direct you through a brand new day. For truth is a bright beam of light shining into every area of your life, instructing and correcting you to discover the ways to godly or right living. Then Psalms 119, verse 105, truth shining light guides me in my choices and decisions. The revelation of your word, Lord, makes my pathway clear. Okay. It's like car lights, it's like a flashlight. 
getting through this darkened world, God says, my word is like a light, and I'll help you. It'll expose you, it'll confirm, it'll help you, comfort you, whatever you need. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I've been rebuked by God's word many times. Oh, shock, yeah. No, I haven't reached sinless perfection yet, but the light has definitely convicted me. You've been married three days, it'll convict you too. Say you're sorry, yeah. It talks, people say, well, I wish the Lord would talk to me. He does. You're not listening, Sparky. He talks to you every day. Sometimes it sounds like your wife. And I'll give you another little hint. Sometimes people say, I wish God would speak to me. Yeah, well, ask Moses, because when God spoke from the burning bush, he probably wished he hadn't spoken to him. Yeah, sometimes, because what he may ask you to do may bring a lot of terror to your heart. So here's the second method of guidance God uses to guide people. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. When God wants to invade the physical realm, He has a pattern for doing it. He'll use the agreement of His Word and His Spirit. Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. I I once dated a girl like that. (laughs) I'm just seeing if you're awake. Okay. Some of you are awake, okay. And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And that's all you're going to remember right today, I know. (laughs) The Holy Spirit's hovering over a created world that's without order. And God's desire is to invade that physical realm, but how's He going to do it? Watch the pattern. His Spirit broods over the object, the earth. Then God spoke. That's the Word coming. So verse 3 says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. See how the Spirit and the Word work together to invade the physical realm to impact it. (coughs) And remember, God's Spirit never goes outside the boundaries of His Word. I'm sorry, I'm a Spirit-filled believer, but I watch some goofy, charismatic sometimes say the Spirit, and I thought, no, that's your Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never goes outside the boundaries of Scripture, ever. You can count on that. Now, remember the pattern, Genesis 1, verse 16. Then God said, that's the Word, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And in chapter 2, how did He do it? Well, and the Lord God formed man out of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. You know, you may not know this, but as a former lifeguard and water safety instructor, I served on a rescue team, the Neptune Raiders in McGuire Air Force Base, New Jersey, many, many years ago. And it was interesting to discover where mouth-to-mouth resuscitation came from right there in Genesis, right there. He breathed into them the breath of life. And what is the breath of God? It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, pneumos. So when God was ready to make the world, the Spirit hovered over it, and then God spoke the Word, and boom, He invaded it. Now He says, let us make man, that's His Word, and once man is made, God breathed into him the Spirit of life, and we have the creation of life. So when you're trying to follow God, some people say, well, just follow the Spirit. Others say, just follow the Word. But God says, no, make sure these two are in agreement. They work together. I've seen several times on television, a commercial showing a clean-cut, normal-looking family, very warm environment. The ad is spiritual in its overtones. The dad's playing with the children. Mom's sitting there happy. 
And the commercial speaks about spiritual values and how God wants us to have a good home and life in the midst of a troubled world. And I'm thinking, well, man, that sounds good to me. Sounds like God's spirit to me. But it ended by saying this ad was brought to you by, and it was a non-Christian group. Now, for a moment, it sounded like the Holy Spirit, but it was not the Word of God in that group. In fact, Isaiah 8 gives us a test for false spirits. Isaiah 8 Verse 19, if you're from Europe, Isaiah, Isaiah 8. That's a hard crowd. Okay, I'm trying. (laughs) Hang with me. Okay, you can learn without being sad. It's okay. Just stay, stay with me. And when they say to you, seek those that are mediums, fortune tellers, and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? to the law and to the testimony. If they don't speak according to my word, it's because there's no light in them. So the first thing I'm always listening for is, does that contradict Scripture? Or is that in line with Scripture? That, you know, a lot of times, when I first was in seminary studying, we had to read all these books on cults. I quit doing that. Here's the easy way to spot what's wrong. If you know God's word, I, I, I can spot a counterfeit the moment they open their mouth. I can say, nope, they're out of bounds. They're wrong on Jesus. They're wrong on Scripture. Therefore, it's counterfeit. They tell me, I don't know, the FBI uh, studies not counterfeit money, but real money so intricately they can spot a phony bill. Easy. They don't study counterfeits. They study the authentic. And then when something counterfeit shows up, they can spot it. But if you don't know the word, you can, get, you can get deceived quite easy. Little children don't know that a big fat man can't get down a chimney when a house doesn't have one. And, put the, and, and so even scripture says you're tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Why are you tossed about? Because you don't know any scripture. You don't have any stability, underpinning to hold you up. So God says, I don't care how great they sound. If they violate my word, there's no light in them. So some religious groups have a few things that sound Christian, that sound like the Spirit of God. Another group advertises their book as another testament of Jesus Christ, like he has another covenant. So they set their book right next to the Bible. But Paul addresses that in Galatians 1, verse 9. I will make it clear, anyone, no matter who they are, even an angel from heaven, that brings you a different gospel than the grace gospel you have received, let them be condemned and cursed. Pretty, pretty frank talk. So a lot of Christians who just spend time in the Spirit can be deceived if they don't know the Word, and other Christians who only spend time in the Word better learn to get in the Spirit. Let me pause for a second, mention some things just to stir you up a little bit, prove you people don't read the Bible. Uh, there's a, I, I have talked to several priests and a few nuns, who have a very difficult time in life being celibate. In fact, although, and I want to say this very respectfully, we have beautiful Catholic people who are part of Summit, and I esteem you highly. But like me, you and I were both taught things that are not in Scripture, both of us, Protestant and Catholic. So just if you love God's Word, you won't have a problem with this. But we've imposed a terrible penalty on priests and nuns that Scripture opposes. Now, celibacy is not taught for anybody in the priesthood or for the nuns. There's not a page in the Bible that addresses that. And then you have 
another group that, that, that we've had some wonderful people come here from that group that have to obey food laws. You can't eat this, you can't drink that. Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, some of our Seventh-day Adventist friends do it. Okay, this is, this is to give us light, not condemnation. Okay, now listen to St. Paul in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 5. And if you're a Catholic, you know I said St. Paul. So it says, your Bible too, but nobody reads it. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read it. This is 1 Timothy uh, 4, verse 1 through 5. The Holy Spirit has expressly revealed that at the end of the age, many will depart from the faith one after another, devoting themselves to spirits of deception and following demon-inspired theories and revelations. Hypocritical liars will deceive many, and their conscience, it won't bother them at all. They will require celibacy and dietary restrictions that God does not expect for he created all foods, bacon, to be received with the celebration of faith by those who fully know the truth. We know that all creation is beautiful to God, and there is nothing to be refused if it is received with gratitude. All that we eat is made sacred by the Word of God and prayer. Now, how do you miss, how do you miss that? Paul rebukes celibacy. Paul. How about Peter? If you were a former Catholic, you're taught that Peter was the first pope. Well, that sucker was married. He had a mother-in-law. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not real smart, but if you got a mother-in-law, I reckon you were married. And Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a great fever. But see, nobody asked questions. That's, what, that's why I never wanted this job. You just go along, but nobody reads the Bible or asks questions. Excuse me, objection. The Bible says, and you say, who am I supposed to believe? Well, I was taught by my Baptist brothers, the Bible is inspired of God, and then they wouldn't do parts of it. It says, any among you sick, let him call for the elders of it. Well, we didn't have elders, we had deacons. And let them, let them anoint him with oil. We didn't have any oil, we put you on a prayer list. We didn't pray and lay hands on you to pray, which is what James tells us to do. Again. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm not joining any group. I'm just saying quit teaching nonsense or believing nonsense when God either has contradicted it or does not state that you can do that. You can get married if you want to. Priest, unpriest. Most of the disciples were married. You got them on your dash. They make statues of them. Some of you even pray to them. Waste of time, but you do it. I mean, Peter is a wreck. I'd rather have a statue of my mother-in-law on the dash than Peter. <laughs> but again, I read the Bible, so there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. How many mediators? Mary? No. Peter? No. St. Anthony? No. There's one, uno, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's clear scripture. But nobody reads the Bible, so pray to Mary, pray to any of that, pray to Buddha, pray to whatever. And God contradicts that over and over. So if you read the Bible, it'll really mess you up unless you really want truth. It's very, very true. And I love to do this. And I wish we could go on and I could give you illustration after illustration. Now, are foods, certain foods unhealthy? Of course they are. But they're not unrighteous. In the Old Testament, you couldn't eat certain foods. In the New Testament, 
St. Paul says you can eat anything you want, for it is sanctified with thanksgiving and prayer. That's why we say the blessing. We sanctify it. Now, it doesn't make it healthy. It's just not unrighteous. I may die of clogged arteries, but I didn't die unrighteous. I died because I ate too much pork or fat. Okay. This is, this is liberating. It's just liberating. The silly stuff that goes on in the name of religion. No wonder nobody wants to go to church, you know. So God wants a church with the Word and the Holy Spirit. All Word and no Spirit, you dry up. All Spirit and no Word, you blow up. But the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. God warns us in Ezekiel 13, thank you guys, verse 1. They say it's the Holy Spirit, but we know it's their own spirit, their own heart. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. So God expects you and me to get in the Word and in the Spirit and let those always be our principle of guidance. One other thought, just for a second. The Westminster Confession was was brought to bear 400 years ago to combat rampant heresy going on in the church. It was a mess. The first three tenets of the Westminster Confession say this. Number one, nothing contrary to Scripture can ever be true. If it contradicts Scripture, it's false forever. Second tenet, nothing in addition to Scripture can ever be binding. That is, I can't bind you. I can't make a doctrine out of it if it's outside of Scripture. And number three, every believer is responsible himself to search the Scripture to see if what is being taught is true. The Bereans did it with these great apostles, and God commended them for it, right? So you have every biblical right to search the Scriptures to say, well, that's not what the Bible says, right? But people don't. So don't just get led by the nose. Know what, why you believe what you believe. I've never met a Christian who doesn't lean more to one side than the other. It doesn't mean one of you is wrong. It's just that our personal characteristics operate differently. Me, typically, when I'm hit with something new, my first thoughts, I go to the Word. For Is that in the Word? Does that violate the Word? That's the first place I go, right? Some people study better than they pray. Some pray better than they study. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you need the other for balance. That's all. I heard about the cannibal who got saved And the missionary was horrified to find out he had seven wives. And the missionary told him, you're not supposed to have but one wife. Well, a few months later, the missionary goes back. And as he goes into the cannibal's hut, there was a cross hanging on the wall. And a small woman was fixing him something to eat. The missionary said, is this one of your wives? The cannibal said, she's my only wife. The missionary said, but you had seven wives. The cannibal said, yeah, but you showed me in the word. I'm only have to have one wife. And the missionary says, well, where are the other six? The cannibal said, I ate them. Well, how many know he needs to follow the Spirit as well as the Word? God didn't tell him to do that. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. For example, sometimes parents... Uh, who should discipline their children won't because they just don't feel the Spirit of God would cause a disturbance over their precious little one. They just believe in love, love, love. But what are they leaving out? The Word. The Word says to discipline your children. The Bible says whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Now listen, 
there are parents who take the word and discipline, but they don't do it in the spirit, and they're mean and brutal, and in some cases it could be even an assault. And then, you know, it takes both of them to do right. By the way, spanking a child isn't going to do any good when they grow up. The only time it's going to do any good is when they're little bitty, when they're toddlers. And they've got six inches of padding back here called a diaper. And when you swat them on the bottom to say, no, no, you have not assaulted that child. Just be sure that's an empty diaper before you swat it. (laughs) And I've raised them and I know. And in our generation, when Cindy and I had, and Sandy and Randy and others here, when we had kids, we didn't have pampers and custom fitted. We had them old nasty laundered cotton diapers and sometimes they didn't seal real good. Now you've got custom-fitted plastic. You young kids today don't even know what it's like to have to pin that thing together with these monstrous safety pins, right? Huh? Yeah, my wife says, because I did that so much. No, I did not. That was awful. That was, that was terrible. You guys have it made today. A Christian's pro-life, but we've had Christians bomb and kill uh, abortion doctors and nurses in the name of Jesus. That contradicted the Holy Spirit. I'm not a murderer. I can believe in pro-life, but I don't hate and go to kill somebody who's doing something that is wrong. That, that's the Spirit and the Word working together, right? There's a principle in the kingdom. Jesus taught on wineskins to illustrate it. Remember, the Word and the Spirit go together to give us guidance. The Word corresponds to a wineskin, a structure, while the new wine corresponds to the Holy Spirit. It's flexible. It's moving. So while the wine of the Holy Spirit's alive, free-flowing, and powerful to find its expression, it can't be left to itself. It has to come into a structure where it has life, vitality, movement, and power. But it's doing so within a structure, and that structure is the Word. So it is the spirit, the wine, moving within the structure of the word, the wine skin. Now I have a workable instrument. How many know the church is a wine skin and the spirit of God is in the church? You are a wine skin. You have God's spirit if you're a believer. It's like a fountain pen. If you want to write a letter, you don't take out a bottle of ink and pour it on the paper. But that's how some people try to do the Lord's work. We, we just want the Spirit to move, Brother Rick, and He runs all over the place, even wrong places. But when it operates within the structure of the Word, then there's a release that has direction and focus. So the Spirit's going to get the job done, but He flows through a structure, His Word. So the ink goes into the pen, that's the structure, then the pen guides the ink to form letters and words we can read. So the Holy Spirit doesn't bring chaos and confusion, He works within the structural boundaries of God's Word. I hear stuff all the time. Oh, come over. We're all praying for gold teeth. Gold teeth. Where's that in Scripture? Yeah. Could God do it? Well, He could do it. But there's nothing in Scripture that says anybody prayed for gold teeth as a meeting. It could be a sign and a wonder once. But it wouldn't be something we're called to pray for. Nothing in Scripture. And by the way, if God wants to give me a new tooth, I prefer it to be white enamel, personally. I mean, that's the original pattern. Uh, Just people that do that, and I've watched them for years, just go into goofy, goofy land because the Spirit has no boundaries of the Word, and they get carried away into nonsense, and it never amounts to anything. 
And by the way, on the gold tooth issue, I'm in Los Angeles, California, having breakfast, preaching in a church, front page of the Los Angeles newspaper shows an expose on the founder of that movement in this country, which wasn't too many years ago, even here in the city, a few people got involved in that. And the guy who started it claimed God gave him a gold tooth. Well, his dentist contradicted him and said, I put that tooth in his mouth and gave the date and time. And then the guy's response, this is crazy, I'm sitting with Tim's story, the guy's response was, well, God still works miracles. I, I thought, yes, he does, but you're a liar. Does everybody with me? See, I know enough of the word where you're not going to put some nonsense on me or let somebody make a doctrine out of it when there's nothing in Scripture to substantiate that. So Christians who want to learn how to follow God, we need to not just have the free-flowing Holy Spirit, but I better conform myself to God's Word, which gives me limits and structure. Don't build a doctrine from silence. Don't allow people to do that. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then he goes on to say, and the Word was made flesh. That's the incarnation. That's Jesus. So here we have the Word made alive in Jesus. Did the Word do any miracles for 30 years? Nope. Did He do any ministry? Nope. Why not? He's waiting on the Spirit. How did God invade the natural realm with Jesus? Same way He did the world. He came with His Word to a woman named Mary. He told Mary, this is the Word of the Lord. You'll conceive and that holy child you will birth will be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mary had the Word, but then she says, how's this going to happen? I'm not sleeping with anybody and I'm not married. See, getting a word alone didn't do it. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you and conception will take place. So see the pattern of the word and the spirit working together. When God made the world, the Holy Spirit brooded over it and the word was spoken over it. God invaded. Then God made man. He spoke the word. He created man in our own image and likeness. Then he breathed his spirit into that structure and it had life. That's you and me. When God sent Jesus, same pattern. Here's Jesus, been on the earth physically for 30 years. He goes to the Jordan River, gets baptized, and when the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, you have the Word and the Spirit coming together, and he launches his ministry. From that moment on, you have the Word now guided by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is energizing what the Word is saying. And you have the anointing of the Word and the Spirit walking together in agreement. And the Spirit never led Jesus to do anything that contradicted his Word, ever. If you have the Word, and He's living in you by His Spirit, you have the potential to walk just like Jesus. Yeah. Acts 10, verse 38, Jesus of Nazareth was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with great power. He did wonderful things for others and divinely healed all who were under the tyranny of the devil, for God had anointed Him. How did this work in Jesus' ministry? It was the Holy Spirit anointing the Word. It's the same for you and I. Yeah. Jesus says, I can declare God's Word. I can get hit with some illness or a diagnosis, and I can say, in the name of Jesus, I am begotten of God. The wicked one touches me not. By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. God sent His Word to heal me, to deliver me from all my destructions. I am speaking the Word under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it creates life in me. You see, you have that right as a believer. So in John 5, verse 19, Jesus said, I speak to you timeless truth. The Son is not able to do anything of Himself or through His own initiative. I only do the works that I see the Father doing. Now, Jesus, what did He mean by that? Jesus was in perfect harmony with His Father. He was before time with His Father. He preexisted 
with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? He was saturated with the Word. He knew it. He knew how God the Father would act in every situation, and He acted it out on the earth. He said in John 8, 28, I do nothing of myself, only what I see the Father doing or what the Father has taught me. So the guidance of the Spirit was limited to the Father's will, His character, and His personality. If you're ever confused about wonder what God's like. Is He mean? Is He abusive? It, look at Jesus. Okay, if, I, if you were a roach and I wanted to communicate to you, I'd have to become a roach to be able to identify with you. So God became a man. Now, what's He like? He's got flesh. God's a spirit. Jesus comes and takes on a body. Now I can watch Him interact with people bad people, religious people. I can watch how he responds to issues in life, and I can see, I love this God. This God is awesome. And people don't usually have much trouble with that God, or even Jesus on college campuses. It's the church they hate, because all it does is condemn and bring legalism into the picture, and it doesn't know the character, nature, and will, and personality of this God. He is not like that. It was just abhorrent to him the way the religious people would act. So Jesus showed them, hey, this is the Father. I am representing him as he is. If you've seen me, he said, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I'm just quoting you scripture here, right? Okay. People say, well, I felt a leading, Rick. The Holy Spirit told me to do this. But what they often don't understand is that those leadings outside of the Word are misdirections. And the only reason they're doing what they're doing is they don't know how the Father would act in that situation. And the reason they don't know that is they don't know God's Word. Because the more you read the Word, the more you see how the Father would act. The Word reveals God, who He is, how He acts, why He does what He does. And Scripture becomes my wineskin. This is, this is really, really cool, I think. The Scriptures give definition to the expressions of the Holy Spirit. They give us our limit and our guidelines. And we who have the Holy Spirit have the obligation to become so intimately acquainted with God who wrote this Word and who has revealed Himself in Scripture that we don't have any problem understanding when it's the Spirit of God. We say, yeah, this agrees with God's Word. This is what God would do. So the frequency of how well you're successful in getting God's guidance for your life will increase with your knowledge of God's Word. That is simply why people who know the Word make fewer mistakes, move less out of the will of God than people who don't know. None of us are perfect, but I guarantee you some of us have less turbulence, less confusion, less drama, and less trouble when you know the Word. And so, I'll tell you something, if you get that Word in you and you're thinking of doing something naughty, Scripture will come blazing into your forehead. The Holy Spirit in you will, will hit you with Scripture, and you say, oh, shucks, I was having a good day till that showed up. And, and that's how He keeps you on the path. I've had the Lord rebuke me. I've had the Lord say, yeah, that sounds good, that looks good, but no, that contradicts Scripture. Anybody but me? Uh, okay, thank you. I thought we were pretty much the same. Yeah. The number one problem in church is Bible illiteracy. 
if you don't get that word in you, you'll live subjectively and mystical all your life at very high risk. I just feel led. The Lord told me. Really? When you read the word, you begin to see the big picture of how God operates, who he is, what he does, what his motives are. For example, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He was in the will of God. That helps me when I don't have all the answers in advance. Or I'm walking with God and I'm not quite sure what he's doing or where we're going. I think of Abraham. Joseph was a prisoner of the Lord. He couldn't get out no matter what. And it also taught me, don't share your big dreams with small thinking people. It also taught me that sometimes what looks like a tragedy, getting sold into slavery, being put in prison with a false sexual abuse uh, accusation, was God's interstate highway to get him to be prime minister of Egypt. Now, those are all written to encourage you. Job is a good man suffering while he does right. Well, if I do this and I do that, I won't have trouble. Who told you that? In this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus said. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's not, you can't live a trouble-free life. You can minimize it, but there can't be a trouble-free. God told the devil, he said, have you considered my servant Job? He's the most righteous man in the earth. How'd you like to have that on your resume? That won't be on mine, but that was on Job's. And I'm thinking, Lord, what did the devil do after that? Well, no, I haven't considered him, but since you bring him up, I'll give him my full attention. And all hell went online against Job. Now, of course, at the end of the deal, God doubled all the losses Job uh, had, had suffered and restored everything. I, I, just, I just wonder if some of you realize you can go through drama and tragedy and be right in the will of God. Job didn't do anything wrong, right? How about Jonah? He's running from God, and God puts him in the fish hotel. They don't honor Visa, MasterCard, or American Express. You can't get out until God vomits you out. No, it's stinky. It's stinky. Now, why did I go through those? To show you this. This is Romans 15, verse 4. Whatever was written in the Old Testament beforehand was meant to instruct us in how to live. The Scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so we can live in hope and endure all things. They give me hope. It's still going to work out all right. It's bad right now, but it won't be bad forever. And I've got illustrations in the Old Testament to give me hope and encouragement. Proverbs 6, we read it a while ago, verse 20. My son, obey your father's godly instruction and follow your mother's life-giving teaching. Fill your heart with their advice and let your life be shaped by what they've taught you. Acts 7, verse 51. Why would you be so stubborn as to close your heart and your ears to me? The Lord says, you are always opposing the Holy Spirit just like your forefathers. Now, your neck symbolizes your will. Ever hear anybody called stiff-necked and rebellious? That's the location of your will. Proverbs 6, verse 22 and 23. Their wisdom will guide you wherever you go and keep you from bringing harm to yourself. Their instruction will whisper to you at every sunrise and direct you through a brand new day. For truth is a bright beam of light shining into every area of your life, instructing and correcting you to discover the ways of godly living. So we wrap up. Consistent guidance without an ever-increasing knowledge of Scripture, impossible. You eat the Word, and pretty soon you start acting like the Word. And when you're facing a situation, a verse will flash into your mind that you've long forgotten, but God hadn't, and it'll come back to you. Gifts of the Spirit are what God does. The fruit 
of the Spirit is who He is. And God's not trying primarily to conform a people into what He does. He's trying to conform us into who He is. So that we, do you think he's racist? Do you think he's, he's uh, sexist? Do you think he's bigoted? Do you think he would patronize you? That he would discriminate against you? No, absolutely not. It's proven over and over again in scripture. So if that's in me, that's not me yet being conformed to who God is. And he wants to conform me into the image of his will transform me. He doesn't want to clone you and I to be absolutely alike in everything. But he wants me to be like him. So in any given situation, I want to be merciful. I want to be compassionate. I, want to, I don't want to be afraid to speak against what's evil or wrong, whatever the consequences may be. So when I feel the leading of the Spirit, what's the first thing I look for? Some scriptural confirmation. Now, if you don't have a verse, maybe there's a principle in scripture or a pattern with which to judge it. Is that leading of the Spirit in agreement with God's Word? Last verse, we're done. Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law, that's God's word, shall not depart out of your mouth. That means I don't want to hear what your mother said. I don't want to hear what your daddy said. I don't want to hear what your hairdresser said. You say what I say. If I'm facing a catastrophic issue, maybe you're older and the company folded and you're laid off, well, you're going to be too, you can hear the words coming around, well, who's going to hire you at this age? That God will plant me by rivers of living water, my leaves shall not wither, whatever I do shall prosper. I start quoting scripture. I declare what he said, not what I feel or what the circumstances are around me. But you shall meditate in it day and night that you might observe to do according that all that's written in it, then you will make your way, who will? You will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. You get God's word in you, you speak God's word in every situation, no matter what you're feeling, and do it. If God says do it, if he says pray for people, anoint them with ketchup. That's what you do. Now he didn't, he said anoint them with oil. But if he did say ketchup, then that's what I'd do. I would obey God's word to get God's result. So the summary, right? Read God's word. Declare God's word. And do God's word. And you will have good success. Amen. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.